Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind Podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, our guest today is Eric Zimmer. Eric Zimmer is a behavioral coach, certified interfaith spiritual director, creator of the Spiritual Habits Program, and host of the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives we want to live. So on this episode, Eric is going to go into his own story of recovery at the age of 24, he was homeless, addicted to heroin, facing long jail sentences. And in the years since, he has found a way to recover from addiction and build a life in which he thrives. So specifically on this episode, we are going to talk about his story, but we're really going to go into how do we incorporate spiritual principles into our life in a way that works. And I just really enjoyed this conversation with Eric. He has a ton of wisdom to share, and I think this episode could have gone on a lot longer than it did, but I hope you get a lot out of it. And if you are getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help the podcast get exposure. And I do read them and they do mean a lot to me. It's amazing to see how the Addicted Mind has impacted so many people. And for all of you that have done that, thank you so much for taking the time and giving that back to the Addicted Mind. I really appreciate it. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Eric Zimmer of the One You Feed podcast. Eric, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I'm really interested in our topic of talking about your story, but also talking about where spirituality and behavior crosses to get recovery, to improve our life, to find joy, find happiness, all that kind of stuff. So, Eric, jump in and introduce yourself and tell us a little about you and your story and how you got here. Hi, Dwayne. Well, first, thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I have long admired your work, so it's it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. You know, 
telling your story is one of those things that's like, do you want the one minute version or the three hour version? I know we've only got 30 minutes, so I'm assuming we're, we're closer to the one minute version. I mean, the, the main salient points that I think are important for what we're talking about are, you know, I found myself at 24 years old as a homeless heroin addict. I had a really low bottom. I had hepatitis C. I was looking at going to jail wow. for about 50 years. I weighed 100 pounds. I mean, I was I was dying. I was I was in really bad shape. And so I got sober and then sort of went into, you know, getting sober at, at 25, no college, no profession. I sort of went into, stumbled my way into the technology field and so had a career in software development. I stayed sober about eight years and I went out and drank again. And what I think is interesting about that is that, well, first I've been sober 15 years since then. So I've got 15 right. years plus the, the eight before that. But what I think is interesting about that little interlude is that I was drinking and never went back to heroin. I was drinking, smoking marijuana and the consequences weren't there on the outside. I was making more money than I'd ever made. I had gotten promoted right. into a great job. I was, you know, I had everything, everything was going really good, except on the inside, I knew I was just as sick as yeah. I was as a homeless heroin addict at 24, right? Now, luckily, I'd had enough time in recovery that I, that I knew what I was kind of looking for. But what I realized was I was just out of control again. And the fact that I was, you know, drinking and smoking pot just meant I didn't get into the kind of trouble I used to get into, right? And right. So, so, but eventually that didn't work out. I got sober, continued in my software career for a while, then started a solar energy company for a few years, about four years, and that solar energy company failed. And when it failed, I was also in a bad marriage and I was just kind of, I was, I was, Dark I was bummed out. Yeah, I was bummed out. And I got the idea to start this podcast, the One You Feed podcast. And I did it really for a couple of reasons. One is I just thought it would be really good for me. You know, it's like I would immerse myself in these ideas around how we live a better life. And my best friend, Chris, is an audio engineer. And I thought, well, we would spend more time together. So I did that to everyone's surprise, mine mainly. The podcast actually did well and kind of took off. We've been right. around about eight years now. And as that went on, that led to me doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching with people. About four and a half years after starting the podcast, I was able to leave my sort of day job and, and do it full-time. I was doing coaching. And then it's probably three years ago now, I developed the Spiritual Habits Program, which is kind of what you're talking about, where we're really taking spiritual wisdom and combine it with behavior change and, and putting it into our lives. So that's the two-minute version I, I think that's a great version. There's so <laughs> much in there that I want to talk to you about because I think that that piece that you said, you know, you got that sobriety at 25, yet that inner work that in some ways I think harder work and maybe even at 25, the maturity or your, where you are in your own brain development and all that, maybe you just weren't ready per se or who knows. But having that other moment where you kind of went back and go, I'm I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I, there's something missing here. And though I have all the trappings of what yep. I should be happy, right, I, according to society or whatever. But that moment where you started to realize, wait, there's something's not right here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, there's a variety of things in there that are interesting. You know, what, what led me back to drinking after eight years of sobriety, yeah. right? And then what led me to sobriety when I had what I would have considered in comparison to the first time, you know, to use 12-step terms, a, a, a very high bottom. 
you know, and so you're right. I mean, I think that I got sober and I did do a lot of inner work, but I got sober in a 12 step program and I was told this was 1994 in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So a, there were not many options around. I mean, 12 step was kind of it. And it was a very God-based 12-step world. You know, we're, we're, I mean, this is right, a long yeah. time ago, right? And so I came in and just was like, all right, I have to believe in God. And I really, I really forced myself to try and believe in God because I was so desperate. Yeah, absolutely. Totally understand that. And it worked and it got me sober. But then I had, a, my, I got married and I had a son. And after, when my son was two and a half, my wife came home one day and said, well, I'm in love with someone else. And my life kind of fell apart. And that didn't cause me to drink right away, but it did completely shake my spiritual foundation because what I had was I would just consider sort of a very adolescent view of, or a very immature view of spirituality. It was kind of like, you know, if I do good things, God's going to do good things back for me. And, you know, God right, got me sober right. and, you know, all, all this stuff. And when then something that seemed really bad to me happened. I didn't have the tools to respond and I stayed sober for a while and I even went in and did a lot more inner work right after that, you know, deep counseling, really digging into childhood stuff. But ultimately that all drove me kind of away from the 12 step program for my recovery. And then the classic thing that I think trips up so many people is my brain started to go, well, you know, maybe, you know, right. you were, you were young then. You were doing heroin. We can all agree heroin's a bad idea. Like, let's not do that. But, and you've done all this inner work. I bet you can handle it. Right. Which right. it turned out, obviously, the fact that I had to get sober again meant that I couldn't handle it. And so, yeah, it, it's been an interesting journey in that way. And I would say, you know, I feel like I'm still really on it to a large degree, right? I do think there's some, you know, I was, uh, I came up in the 12 step world. So there's a lot of that that sticks with me, but they talk about this idea of we have this sort of daily reprieve, you know, from our addiction. And while I don't feel like, oh, if I, if I'm not completely on top of everything, I'm likely to drink tomorrow. I do recognize that I do need to be sort of moving in a positive direction generally in order to remain sober. Right. So you started to discover that as you, as you went through this. It's like, I, I can't just do this. I have to do something a little bit more. I have to move my mind in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And when I came back to when I got sober the second time, again, we're still in 1990. No, I'm sorry. We're in like, I don't know, 2003. There still weren't many options in uh, for recovery yeah. at that time. And so I went back to AA. And But I really was like, all right, if I'm going to work this program what does spirituality mean to me? I, I'm not going to just, I can't come in here and just pretend to believe in something that I don't really believe in. And so what I landed on there, it actually turned out to be the foundations for the spiritual habits program that I created much later, was this basic idea that if I lived by certain principles, we could call them spiritual principles, we could probably call them psychological principles, philosophical principles, right, right there. Yeah. But if I live by certain principles, I believe that I can A, stay sober and B, handle what life brings my way. And that led me into a much more mature and I think stable spirituality. So what I hear is that you really in a way had to go inward into yourself and really find your way and really look to your own being, your own authenticity of who you are to find that path. And I, I think sometimes we look when we're a little lost, I know for me, 
you know, we look outside of ourselves for this guidance and sometimes it fits and it works, mm -hmm. but then sometimes it, it doesn't. And having that, having to go inward to kind of really ask yourself that question, what is it for me? I think is so important. I agree. I mean, I think particularly early on in a recovery effort, depending on, for lack of a better word, how, how bad the problem is, right? Yeah. We may need more or less. There may be a period of time where it's like, just kind of do what everybody is suggesting you do, even though you don't understand it, you don't necessarily totally. believe in it. But like, let's, let's get the train back on the tracks. Yeah. yeah but I at agree. a certain point, you know, recovery, I, I think has to deepen. It does have to start to become more and more what matters. And to me, spirituality is just about a focus and a clarity and a connection with what really matters to us. And that could be God. That could be nature. It could be any number of different things. But it is that focus. It's that inward focus on who am I and what matters to me. And let me do my best to live that way and connect with those things. And that is spirituality to me. Right. Being able to do that. So how do you start that journey? How did you start to like do that in your own life? Because, you know, we can, I guess in a way we can talk about that on a high level. And then there's this lower kind of practical level of how do mm -hmm. we start that piece of the journey? If we're at this space in our life where we have to, I guess, go inward a little bit more and really connect with ourselves to understand what's going to bring meaning to our life. How does that happen? Well, that's a really big question and everybody's <laughs> going to be, everybody's going to be a little bit different, yeah, right? Yeah. But for me, what happened is again, 12 step method, right? And the idea there is that a spiritual, you need a spiritual experience. That's what helps get you sober. So for me, that meant, okay, even in the beginning when I was like, all right, I have to kind of believe in this kind of God, it got me curious and reading about what is spirituality me. So I would read different things and I would be like, oh, that really resonates with me or that doesn't. And for me, the things that ultimately really resonated most were, it tended to be a more Buddhist right. look at life was what was kind of what resonated and what made sense to me. So for me, it was just a, a following a curiosity and reading different things and being willing to say, you know, that when I really hear that and I sit with that, I, you know, that feels true. That right. feels real. That feels right. And allowing myself to be with that. Then there's the whole question of how do you actually put spirituality and spiritual principles into your life, which is kind of what the whole spiritual habits program that I created is about is, okay, how do I go from believing in these things in an abstract sense? To really right. living them, in but, AA, but they, before they talk about. Oh, yeah, go I was going to say, I was going to say before that that opening your mind to that curiosity, to be open enough to explore, and in a way, I guess I'm thinking, kind of, you have to do that to know yourself. You have to have yeah. that curiosity, and to listen to your, like you said, I had a feeling this felt right to me. You have to be able to listen to your gut. I think a lot of times if maybe we have trauma or some other history, we're tuned out of our gut. You know, our gut, we don't listen to our gut because for whatever reason, trauma, all sorts of mm -hmm. stuff. And and starting to nurture just that curiosity, like you mentioned, allows you to, I guess, open up this path, allows you to start to walk down this path. 
Yeah. I mean, you bring up a really important point, which is listening to your gut, knowing what's going on inside you, following your intuition. All these things are enormously tricky when you're trying to recover from something because when we've been traumatized or when we've been conditioned in a certain direction, we then have very habitual ways of reacting that feel deeply true to us. They feel like right. us, right? Yeah. So knowing what that is versus something else is a really hard thing to do. And I think that in spiritual circles, we would call that discernment, right? Being able to discern what's a habitual condition pattern that I'm reacting out of due to my trauma or anything else. And what is more authentically me is a discernment thing. And I think discernment has to happen in community. To some degree. Now, community might be one other person that you trust and you talk to. But I think the more that we are talking about these things with different people and hearing different perspectives, the more we have a chance to, as you said, sort of open our mind, hear different perspectives and, and allow these things to develop over time and and find some trusted guides. Because yeah, it is enormously absolutely. difficult to figure out, you know, I'm all, when people say like, trust your intuition, I'm like, well, boy, there was a period of time that was a bad idea for me. Cause my intuition just said, go do heroin. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it screamed it at me. It was the only thing that felt real to me, you know, right. You, Everything you else need felt those people forced. to help you, yeah. help yeah. you develop that over time. Yeah. And then kind of going back, I'm, I'm kind of seeing that feedback loop where we practice these maybe principles, these spiritual principles mm-hmm. or behaviors that then help us manifest more of our intuition and get healthier. Like they feed into each other and you got to yeah. kind of do all of it at the same time. And with that openness and that curiosity to, to start that process. Yeah. I think openness and curiosity are two of the key elements for any kind of recovery journey, right? From whatever, whether you're recovering from a substance, whether you're recovering from trauma, whatever, it, it, open-mindedness and curiosity are really, really important because that's the mindset that allows us to learn. And I think recovery is very much about, it's a learning process. It's a, it's a process that's almost a relearning process. And, and that's a really helpful framework because when we think of it that way, I don't have the skills to today be substance free. I don't have the skills today to react in a way to my intimate partner that doesn't reflect my trauma. Then, then it's a skill and a learning thing. It's not a moral failing. It, it, It helps with shame, which is the other like monster in the room <laughs> yeah, with absolutely. all this stuff. So open-mindedness and curiosity leads to a learning perspective, a growth mindset, which is absolutely critical for any of this stuff to work. Yeah. And, and, and being able to nurture that mindset, being around others in community that have that same kind of mindset helps you develop this process. And, and yeah, I, I, I can totally relate to that piece of getting there, but you got to kind of go through that process. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit from, let's move from kind of the high level 
yep. to some very like practical skills that people could use to start to open up this process. And I know you have some of this in your program and, yep. and everything yep. like that, but I would love to hear like some of those, those ideas. Yep. So let me just describe what spiritual habits are, because that's my best framework that I've been able to create to, to sort of explain some of this stuff. Right. And so spiritual habits are just a combination of two things. One is spiritual principles. Again, if you don't like that word, you could use the, the psychological, philosophical. They are things that show up in wisdom all across the world over and over and over and over again. They're not new. None of us would disagree with any of them, right? We'd all be like, yeah, right. that, that, that makes sense, right? So for example, acceptance, right? Acceptance shows up all over the place, not resisting the way life is. Being present, shows up right. in all spiritual and philosophical and psychological traditions. So it's identifying a few key principles, not a hundred, but a few, right? Because part of our problem in today's world is we're overwhelmed with knowledge. You know, yeah. we by noon, we could read 50 different ideas on how to get better, right? So, so part of this is like narrow it down. Let's get specific. And then taking what we've learned about behavior change and there's a lot of science around this and, and putting those two things together to create sort of spiritual habits. And the heart, the core idea is that little by little, a little becomes a lot. Yes. And so absolutely. what I mean by that is most of us live a pretty busy life. We've got a lot going on and we're not going to have hours a day to devote to our spiritual practice. Some people do, some people make that commitment, but for most people, that's not the way this is going to happen. So what we need is a way of developing these deeper inner resources that fits within the architecture, the framework of our current life. So what that means is little bits, little moments. Yeah. But doing them again and again and again, little by little, a little becomes a lot, right? So that's the core idea. So, so now let me translate that into something very practical and, and specific. So the place the program starts is around a core idea of intention and attention. And they're, they're very closely linked and they're very important. By intention, what I mean is who's the person I want to be or what matters here. Right. So let's just say that I wake up and I set, you know, my intention today is that I want to be, be appreciative for the things that I have in life, right? So then what needs to happen is I need to know very often, where is my mind? There's an old Pixie song, where is my mind, right? And so that's what attention, what, what is my attention on? And what we will find is that 99% of the time, it is not on my intention of appreciating my life. It is somewhere else, yeah, which is fine. That's being, that's being human. But we can use behavior change science, which has an idea of a trigger. Now, a trigger we normally think of in, in recovery circles as a thing that happens that causes us to want to use. And that is an actual trigger. But we can use triggers for the positive as well. Yeah, absolutely. So an example of something we do in the program is we have, I, I give people an app that they can use on their phone. And the app goes off however many times a day you tell it to go off randomly and you can put a prompt in so if i'm trying to my intention is to appreciate my life today right i will set that thing to go off maybe six times today and it'll go off ding and i'll look at my phone and it'll say what was your intention 
and where is your attention? And so in that moment, I just go, what am I thinking about? Oh, I'm thinking about how bad, you know, this last meeting at work went, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next week. What was my intention? Oh, my intention was to try and appreciate my life. Okay. Can I just turn my attention for this moment to something that I can appreciate? Oh, okay. right. You know, I just, I, I carry my dog up and down. I live on a third floor apartment and I carry her up and down the, the stairs to go to the bathroom because she can't, she can't do stairs anymore. So for me, when I'm keyed into that idea of appreciating my life, when I'm reminded of that regularly, when I carry her up and down those stairs, I'm kind of focused on how sweet it is to carry her and to be able to kiss her under her, on her neck, under her chin. And, and so, right. you know, but I do that five, six, eight, ten 10 times a day, day after day it starts to permeate through my life. And so that's the core idea of spiritual habits is pick a core idea that you want to focus on and stay with it for a while. In the spiritual habits program, when we do it as a group, we spend a week on each. When I do it one-on-one with people, we do two weeks on one principle. Stay with it and get reminded multiple times a day. You know, the other idea is to create something called still points. A still point would just be a moment where you do some sort of reflection and you can create still points by using their other triggers. You can use a trigger like every time I go in the kitchen, I will have a still point. Every time I go to the bathroom, every time I'm at a red light, we want to learn to use triggers to remind right. us. Now, over time, what we're hoping to do is begin to develop more internal awareness because the mo- the ultimate type of trigger for good and bad, is an emotional-based trigger. Again, these happen mostly for us for the negative today. We get triggered by something, we don't even necessarily notice it, and then we react in a certain way. If we can get better at going, oh, I'm starting to feel angry. That's my emotional trigger. Okay, and then I've decided ahead of time, what will I do when that happens? That's where life really transforms. So we use the synthetic triggers like a a ding on our phone to slowly start to train the internal awareness more so that we can allow our internal emotional states to guide wise decisions and responses versus their habitual responses, which tend to be destructive. Right. And it reminds me of that mindfulness adage where, you know, what fires together, wires together and neuroplasticity And the idea that, you know, I have this saying, and I don't know where I got it. It's, uh, you know, small hinges swing big doors. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I don't know where I got it. I love that statement too. (laughs) You know, it's, it's these small little things change how we perceive the world, how we think about the world. And it doesn't have to be huge, but we can set that intention in our body. And once we learn to do that, like you're right, like we we start to see the effectiveness of it. And then we really just start to choose to do that. And I think of several areas in my life where maybe certain things triggered certain kind of trauma reactions in me. Mm-hmm. And once I recognize those trauma reactions, I started to just think about it in a different way. Yeah. But intentionally, like it took a lot of conscious effort to do that. But as I did that more and more, it now became the way in which I responded to that trigger, Yes, which ended up yes. resulting in a more positive outcome for me and the people around me. And, but it definitely, it took that recognition, that openness, that curiosity. It took that practice, that intentional practice. 
and it didn't happen right away. Yep. And I had to be patient and I had to take my time. But getting that like laid out for you and doing that, I think is that's how you change your brain. Totally. I, I love everything you just said there. I love that phrase. And yeah, it is a matter of the thing about it. I sort of interrupted myself there. The thing that I think is important is that, you know, it's little, but it's consistent and it's frequent. Yeah. Right. Yes. Little bit done infrequently doesn't lead to anything. Little bit of this, little bit of that, little bit of that, little bit of that spread all over the place also doesn't tend to lead to much change. It does need to be sort of, as you said, a very intentional, this is the thing I'm focused on right now on my own growth. Yeah. And I'm going to try and stay focused there for a while. And I'm going to try and stay consistent with the, whatever the practices I develop are. Yeah. Yeah. And allow them to happen because none of this happens as quickly as we would like. Unfortunately, it just tends it to doesn't. not. You know, there are moments that we have big insights, right? That, that happens where something opens for us. And those are beautiful when they happen. Even then, though, we usually have a lot of work to integrate that insight. Right. You and know. this reminds me of the the other piece. I think that people miss on this because we can talk about ourselves individually, but really what I think helps us even more, what you were saying earlier, is having community that then yes. supports you in this because it's hard work to do this. You know, our, our brains and our bodies love the status quo. They love what they know, the brain loves what it knows. If it's predictable, yep. the brain loves it. And even if it's destructive and predictable, the brain it, loves it. That's right. And to it, like it a have community to, thing. Yeah, have community to hold you accountable yep. to kind of help you nurture this. This is where you can leverage other people yeah. and help each other make more positive change. Yeah, that's why in the spiritual habits program, we, you know, it's a big group of people anywhere from, you know, it's been anywhere from 50 to 150 people, right? But we take that big group and we divide it into small groups that in their time zone and those small, we meet on Sunday as a group, the small groups meet on Wednesday night. So we, it's six other people or so. And right. those small groups also start to send each other text messages during the day. And so you've got this small group of people who are working on the exact same thing with you that week. And you're, you're encouraging and supporting each other. You're talking about it and you're, you're sort of checking in and you're, you're building that accountability. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff about 12 step programs that I don't love, but they did save my life twice. And there's an yeah. enormous amount of wisdom in there. And one of the big pieces of wisdom was how important the community was. And that is one thing that 12-step programs do have as a big advantage is they are absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And the support that you can get there is mind-blowing because there's so many people and there's so many options. I mean, in most places. Now, again, the smaller place you're in, the less option you have, but there's almost always some sort of. And so, yeah, that community is really important. How do we find it? How do we nurture it? How do we support it? Because that's another insight from behavior change science is that the support that you get is fundamental in your ability to make a change. It is absolutely it, trying to do it without that is very much a extraordinarily uphill battle. 
Yeah, and I think if you know if if we've struggled with addiction or any of that or trauma, there's a lot of shame. You know, you yes. had mentioned that earlier that keeps us out of community, and then we're like, well, I'll do this all by myself, fix myself, and then I'll come out into the world, right? And I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be acceptable, and that doesn't work <laughs> because you, you you know you you know so shame sometimes really keeps us from from reaching out for help and, and getting support and. You know, talking it's about a hard, things. it's a hard journey out of that. It really is. That shame is a, is a big deal. And it is a, it just puts us in a downward spiral that is so hard to get out of, but yeah. that courage to just take the first steps into community and then know that you're just going to be uncomfortable for a while. You know, I think one of the things that gets in the way of a lot of people with community, and it did for me in different areas, it didn't in 12 step programs. Cause the, I went, I, I just went for whatever reason, but I'll, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to explore this community of people, right? Uh, you know, a Buddhist community yeah. or a, and I'll wander in and I'll go and I just won't feel connected. You know, I'll, I'll either think, you know, ah, these people aren't, you know, the, I don't really like these people or I'll think these people don't really like me or these aren't my kind of people because just for me, it takes a while. So I kind of have to know like, okay, you're not going to feel connection right away. We know again, more, you know, research says that it takes a lot of time as adults to build a connection with someone else. Now, yeah. when we're talking, the deeper stuff we're talking about, the faster this process can happen. But it does tend to take some time. So it sometimes with community, it's like, I just have to commit to go for a little while, knowing that I'm going to be uncomfortable, knowing that this doesn't feel quite right. Right. But, you know, give it, you know, give it a, give it a chance, give it some time, you know, allow it to develop. I mean, I know if you put me in a new group of people and I don't know anyone, it takes me multiple times being around those people for my shell to start to come off. And it, it's very, it's very unconscious. It's not a, I, yeah. I mean, I know it's happening, right? But it's still, it's just like, it, it just does take that time. And so now I've learned that about myself. I accept that about myself and I go, I'm just going to hang around here for a little while. And I know that if I do soon, I'll start to come out of my shell. I'll start to connect with other people. I'll, I'll start to warm to these people. I'll start to get to know them. And so I've learned that about myself. And now I, I'm better at that than I used to be. Right. And I think that goes back to what something you were saying even earlier, which is, you know, being able to be present and watch and, and practice that with like mindfulness. I, I'm a big fan of mindfulness. It's been very impactful for me, but that's enabled me to sit with discomfort for longer periods of time to get the, I guess you would say the wisdom from the discomfort, if that makes sense. It does. I think that's exactly spot on, you know, that ability to, to notice what's happening and stay with it a little bit longer because groups are really interesting. I think individual therapy, individual coaching is tremendously powerful and helpful, and I've gotten a lot out of it. I feel like most of my deeper healing, though, has happened in group settings. And the reason is I think groups, they bring out something in us that's very different. And what they bring out is almost everybody, you put them into a group, they will immediately be doing what we as humans do, which is we'll be hierarchically 
evaluating ourselves. And so you got, you walk into a group and I just noticed this happen. It's, I flip back and forth between like, I don't like them. They don't like me. I, I mean, it, you know, so I'm either yeah. judging myself or I'm judging them and very often both back and forth and I'm uncomfortable. And it's just, it's a process that's revealing in that very way. It shows me, oh, this is how I'm relating. And there's no shame in that. We all do it. You know, it's why I love to facilitate group programs to watch this process unfold. And I say to people in the beginning, like, you are all probably deeply uncomfortable right now. Don't think you're the only one who's deeply uncomfortable here because everybody feels anxious moving into a new group. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I yeah. love group process. It's, it is amazing to watch. And, and same for me. I think a lot of my healing has come through group process work. Uh, you know, individual therapy too has been incredibly helpful as well. Yes. But there's this deeperness to, I don't know if deeperness is a word, but, you know, now. it's like, it is now <laughs> that, you know, when we're in a group, it's it, all the dynamics play out and we can get, really deep and feel if it's a safe group, you know, feel really connected and safe with this tight little community where we can yeah. process our inner selves in a way that you really can't almost get anywhere else. It's really hard yeah. in our culture and our society to do oh, that. Yes. It has to be almost be intentionally created. 100%. And yeah, for all the power of one-on-one, -on -one, and there is a ton, there is something about hearing someone else say me too. Yeah. You know, I felt that way too. I've been there. There's a peer relationship there that is different because it's, it's, you know, that's the other, I think, genius part of AA was the idea was like, it's really one alcoholic talking to another is the magic. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that is a deep insight. And the, the deep insight that's so wise is that it's not just the person who's been sober longer helping the person who's new coming in. It is a completely reciprocal, bi-directional relationship. The person who's doing the helping is getting every bit as much out of it. And that's what is so powerful is that recognition that like, oh, this isn't like me being the wise elder to everybody else. This is a, there's a power and an energy in connecting with other people who've got the same challenges you do and being honest about them. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Eric, we could talk a lot more and forever. I, I love yeah. your wisdom. You know, when I talk to people, I can, I can have a feeling of that you've done your work, so to speak, like, you know, you, you just have this feeling, you can understand that deeper wisdom. And so I just uh, really appreciate it. Okay. But before we wrap up, totally, I'd love to ask one question of every guest, someone out there may be struggling, maybe hurting, and you could tell them one thing. What would you want them to know? Keep trying. Keep trying. I love it. Keep trying, you know, like just healing is not a linear journey. It doesn't happen all at once. It often takes us a while to find the right place, the right thing, the right. But if we just keep at it, healing is possible, but it does take a persistence. So keep trying. Awesome. And if people want more information about you, where can they find you? How can they contact you? Yeah, if you go to oneyoufeed.net. You can get the podcast there. You can learn about the spiritual habits program there, or you can search for our podcast in any of you podcast players out there. It's called the one you feed. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for coming on to the addicted mind, sharing your wisdom, sharing your story. 
I just, I, I really love it. Thank you, Dwayne. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been fun. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation with Eric. I thought there was just so much wisdom in there. I hope you got a lot out of it. As usual, all the links will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out there. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Also, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.